selling with authenticity. It's building that relationship. It's about the value. Because you want to make that impact. It can make you happy. Elevate others around Welcome us. to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Your home for authentic, effective, and socially integrated sales strategies to help you master the art of selling. Join your co-hosts Larry Levine and Daryl Amy, along with some of the world's best sales thought leaders and practitioners, as we explore ways to help you grow your sales. Hello and welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast, your co-host. Daryl, Amy here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? It's good to see you. I'm super excited to dive into this podcast. But before we get started, so, you know, everyone, just bear with me for just a quick second. As you all know, I'm a massive sports nerd. As we're recording this, we're in the middle of the baseball playoffs. By the time this podcast drops, my prediction, sorry, Daryl, everyone just deal with it. The Dodgers will have won the 2021 World Series. Oh, my prediction. Wow. Okay. I put it right. I'm putting it out year. right now. That's a bold prediction, but I got to say, uh, Larry, I'm cheering you on. And uh, <laughs> I know if the Dodgers are winning, Larry's happy, which is good for all of us. So, <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast. You've joined a growing community of sales professionals that are dedicated to being genuine, being authentic, adding real value. We call it Selling from the Heart. And at the core of Selling from the Heart is people. And one of the great things about Selling from the Heart is this community that has blossomed out of sales professionals, literally from all over the world, Larry, in all different professions, all different industries saying, yes, that's me. I resonate with this message of authenticity. I want to be genuine. I want to add real value. I want to be trusted and trustworthy. And Selling from the Heart, the community of people it has just been incredible, Larry. It's so fun at getting to interact with listeners and friends all over the world. Yeah, you know, I, I go back, you use the word, Daryl, community. I go back to some of my closest mentors and, they, and they've and they just, just cheered us on saying, continue to build community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just imagine what's community look like, not only inside the Selling from the Heart Insiders group, but what does community look like inside your client base and out in the marketplace, sales professionals and sales leaders. I believe the key to a lot of your growth comes through what we're going to be talking about today on the podcast, but more importantly, how you build community with your clients, your teammates, and even out into the marketplace. Well, and one of the best places to start is to build community with like-hearted sales professionals. And that's what's been so fun about the Selling from the Heart Insiders group is that we've gathered together this community of like-hearted sales professionals that say, yeah, I buy into it. I may not get it in my company. I may not get it in the bullpen, but I want to be a part of a team of salespeople that are, are dedicated to doing the right thing, building trust. And one of the things that we get to do, there's many different aspects of the Insiders group, but one of the things that we get to do is we hang out every couple of weeks with a thought leader in the sales or leadership or related profession, someone that's going to help us grow. And it's not a speech. It's not a PowerPoint slide <laughs> dump. It's actually just hanging out with some of the coolest thought leaders. And we've got an incredible roster coming up into this fall and the holiday season and on into the new year. You want to be a part of the Selling from the Heart Insiders group. And if you're not already, we want to invite you to come join us and just hang out. Give it a test drive. Uh, just go to www.sellingfromtheheart.net slash free dash pass. That's free pass. 
and you'll get access to one of our up close and personals. We just got to hang out with Tom Hopkins. It was incredible. We've got an, an incredible roster of people and, and come and try it out. And I think you'll agree with us that hanging out with like-hearted salespeople is something that is really, really motivating, inspiring, and get just lights my fire. It gives me fuel uh, to keep keep going and keep working and doing the hard work it takes to bring authentic action to the table. And by the way, that's a great transition because <laughs> I remember our friend Jack Hubbard earlier this year- yep, In the Authentic Selling Challenge. In the Authentic Selling Challenge said- authenticity without action is nothing. It's all about taking action. And it's uh, no coincidence that Jack Hubbard, one of our good friends, has introduced us to today's guest, which I'm so excited about, Larry. Yeah. So um, as we welcome in Charlie Green, I remember just a couple months ago, Jack and I were having a conversation and it was right before the trust challenge. And he goes, I know somebody you need to meet. And he introduced me to Charlie Green. And since we've had some great conversation, but I'm going to play off of what Jack Hubbard said. It's about taking action. If I don't take action on what Jack Hubbard said, I don't meet Charlie Green. Therefore, Charlie Green, welcome to Selling from the Heart. We can't wait to dive into this conversation. Thank welcome. you. Likewise, I appreciate the introduction. Charlie, it is so cool to have a legitimate, real expert on trust, <laughs> co-author of The Trusted Advisor, even re-released here recently. We've got a great conversation teed up, but before we dive into that, I'm really curious about your answer to the question that every guest on our podcast answers, and that is, what does it mean to you to sell from the heart? Um, <clears throat> it's a good question. And I, by the way, let me just compliment that, that, that phrase selling from the heart, uh, kind of like trusted advisor or trust-based selling. I think it automatically intuitively triggers thoughts in people's minds and they're all a little different. And, and that's really a good thing. A little bit of ambiguity goes a long way, but they're all kind of in a general direction. To me, it means that you have a, some kind of commitment to the betterment of your customer or client. And maybe it's kind of an ethical or moral commitment. I think it's, I think of it as a professional commitment and it, it goes to the level of not just strategies or tactics. Um, and a lot of people that say, well, if you generate trust, you can sell more. Well, guess what? If your goal is to sell more, I don't trust you. <laughs> so, you know? uh, so I think that the, to me, it means a true commitment to the betterment of the business and lives of your clients and customers. Oh, this uh, and that's is a distinction that exists at the level of goals and objectives. This is so good, Daryl. And there, and there's, and there's three, there's three words that just to key in on this, it's commitment to betterment. By, yeah. by the way, thanks, Charlie, because that's the first time we've heard it phrased that way when we've asked somebody, what's it mean to sell from the heart? So this is a great segue because I know we're going to dive into a lot of great stuff today. Yeah. But um, prior to us recording this, we were just talking behind behind the scenes as far as, you know, trust and where this went wrong and, and why yeah. is trust so low? But I want to get back before we dive into this is this commitment to betterment. Where do you think that's gone wrong with this whole commitment to betterment? Well, I got my own theories about it. I think I'm, I'm, I'm you can see the gray hair here. I'm now <laughs> at the point where I can kind of see, I, I talk about 50 year trends and stuff. I, I graduated from business school in, what was it, 1976. So just to be honest, you know, and I think you can trace it back to things like, um, 
uh, you know, the invention of the personal computer, the spreadsheet, let's not forget, suddenly you could quantify everything. In the world of business strategy, suddenly anybody that could really push data and throw together a great two by two Mm -hmm. became, you know, a, a strategic expert and got entree to the boardrooms. And, and I think that trend that's continued mm. of, you know, if you can quantify it, you should. Well, no, you shouldn't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily help you. So I think there are all these ways in which we can track and, and quantify and metricize. And we've gotten kind of lost about what's the purpose of all this. And I, you know, that, that comment about betterment, I got back to uh, one of my, thoughts is that the acid test of trust-based selling is would you ever recommend a competitor to your own client and because if you won't i mean i don't trust you you're basically saying i'm the best person for everything well that's ridiculous on the face of it um and actually i mean that sounds pie in the sky but can you uh, put up with a little two-minute story here uh -huh. yep absolutely there was uh, years ago the consulting firm i worked for a guy named howard schwartz ran our financial services practice and he was a very good consultant and he was he professionally knew his counterpart at McKinsey. So one day he gets a call from this guy from McKinsey who says, Howard, this is an unusual call. Um, we have a seriously major client, a big bank in New York, and we started some work for them on a, a big project and suddenly everything went wrong that could. Bad chemistry, bad luck, et cetera. We had to stop completely, revamp, restart, and then that one went wrong. And he said, we cannot afford a third strike with this major client. That, therefore, I'm calling you, my direct competitor, because <laughs> I respect you, to ask if you would go into this key client and do some work. Well, Howard you know, couldn't believe his ears. <laughs> you don't get that kind of call very often. <laughs> but he quickly recovered and said, sure. And they went in, put together a good team, did some great work, and he went to the client towards the end. And he said, now you've seen what we could do, the kind of work we can do. How about we talk about doing some further work together? And the client said, Howard, you guys were great. I really appreciate you coming in the last minute. Your work is excellent, you know, nothing better. But I got to tell you, I would never leave McKinsey because they were big enough to bring you in. Now, mm. that's the kind <laughs> of commitment, you know, to client, the client betterment, to be able to say, you know what, this is a Beautiful. long game and I'm not in it to win the transaction. I'm not in it to get, you know, explore my sales funnel and, tra funnel and track every little, you know, metric here, big picture. Am I devoted to this client improving their business or not? Mm. And I think, you know, to go back to this goal level thing, if your goal is to increase sales, um, you know, trust can help you do that. But if you start treating trust as a tactic, it will blow up upon itself. Mm. Uh, so the real, to my mind, the way around it is don't think of, of uh, a trust as a tactic. Don't think of the sale as the goal. Think of the sale as a byproduct of a larger goal, which is, you know, commitment to the betterment of your client. And if you do that, by the way, along the way, you'll make a lot more sales and you'll do better. But you can't make it your primary goal. Otherwise, it subverts this notion of trust. Uh, that's <laughs> Mike drop moment. <laughs> this is this is so good. And by the way, everybody, you want to get a copy of the Trusted Advisor. We're going to put that book in the show notes. But I'm curious when you and you've been thinking about trust for a long time here. Yeah. Over, like you said, you've got a horizon to look. Where what is the state of trust right now in the business world, especially related to the sales profession? Well, I think it's it's declined somewhat. I mean, all the you guys mentioned the uh, uh, the Edelman Trust Barometer, for example. That's all true. You take measurements of institutional trust, personal trust. There's a million reasons why it's somewhat declined. Um, 
but I think that's it's it's not a practical thing. I my quibble with the Edelman Trust Barometer, for example, is they'll measure to the third decimal place the state of trust in the banking industry in you know eastern United States or Argentina or something. But it doesn't tell you what to do about it. And there's mm -hmm. a key distinction. There are two parts to trust. There's the trustor and the trustee. There's the person who takes the risk in the first place, and then the person who proves themselves either to be trustworthy or not. So when you see a statistic like, for example, trust in banking is down, wow, okay, and you know, is that really true? Yeah, it is true. But it begs the really practical question to go back to your action thing. <clears throat> is that a problem with trustworthiness or trusting? Hmm. If the banking question is Wells Fargo over the last 10 years, I think you can say you got a trustworthiness problem. They screwed up. Mm -hmm. and, and the solutions to that are things like regulations, you know, change behaviors, prosecutions, whatever, change management. Um, but on the other hand, if you take something like, uh, in, again, 20 years, uh, the incidence of violent crime, as reported by the DOJ and FBI, is down. There's less than there was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, at the same time, by equally good data, fear of violent crime has gone up. So that's a perception problem. That's a PR problem. That's a communications problem. So, and they both play into trust and they, often they play together, but you can't mm -hmm. do anything about it if you're stuck at the level of measuring trust. You got to say, what's the issue here? Is it trustworthiness or trusting? Mm -hmm. And for people to be a good salesperson, yeah, the obvious one is you have to be trustworthy. You got to be transparent. You got to be honest. You have to be collaborative. Blah, 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 blah. The harder one is actually to trust your client and your customers. Uh, and, and you be the one to take a risk. Otherwise, uh, after a while, you can be the most trustworthy, Boy Scout, honorable, blah, blah, blah. And there will come a point at which your customer or client says, gee, you know, I, it's great that you're trustworthy all the time. But, you know, I'm always the one taking the risk. You never hmm. are. So, you know what? I don't think I trust you after all. So we got to be good at both ends of it. Oh, wow. That's so good. Can you th let's stay on this topic? Can you coach us through some of this? How, how does how does somebody get to that point? What's that look like? Well, uh, the um, the let's let's take those two sides, because it's a practical question on the trustworthiness side. Um, in that original book, The Trusted Advisor, we came up with a thing called the trust equation which uh, is a very simple four-factor model, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. That's not the only model out there, but it's a good one and it works. Mm -hmm. And um, about 10 years later, we put some data on that and turned it into a self-assessment survey. So we actually have you know, some, some data on it. Um, basically, credibility is expertise, reliability is track record and dependability. Those ones, everybody knows. Those you can draw metrics on, those you can measure, those you can do behavior-based training. The other two, intimacy, also in the numerator, has to do with a sense of, of uh, safety. Can I trust this person with this information? Do they know when to laugh and when not to laugh at what I tell them? Are they going to blab it to somebody else or not? And if they do, are they going to do it in a way that treats me well? or not. And if the answer to that is yes, then your intimacy skills go up, your intimacy rating. The denominator factor that cuts across all of them is what we call self-orientation. And besides the obvious one of greed, you know, which is not that much of an issue, there are not that many Bernie Madoffs in the world, and he got caught. <laughs> uh, the, more, the more common version of high self-orientation is just neurotic self-obsession, always worrying <laughs> all the time. You know, does she like me? Am I going to get the sale? How come everybody's looking at me? How come nobody's looking at me? All that hamster wheel in the head stuff that keeps you separated from the person in front of you. 
And so that's kind of an emotional maturity thing. Can, are, are you comfortable enough in your own skin that you can like stop the noise and mm -hmm. listen to the person in front of you without treating them as just a problem solving opportunity? So if you, if you work on those four, and they're all distinct, the easy ones are probably credibility and reliability. In fact, the easiest way to increase trustworthiness quickly is make a lot of promises and keep every one of them. <laughs> um, that'll get you there. There's a, a lot of myths around uh, trust. The biggest one is probably trust takes time. And with the exception of reliability, which does take time, it requires the passage of time to get repeated instances. The others don't. They happen in a moment. So, the, you know, so it really matters. There's no magic words or phrases to create intimacy or low self-orientation. It's all in the wrist, so to speak. It's in the delivery. It's in how you phrase things and how you lean in, how you listen. Subtle stuff, which means every interaction is unique. Uh, so I think the big, I mean, if you had to one line, what's the key to that? It's like quiet your stupid head and really lean in and listen to what that person's saying. You know? Oh, Daryl. You know, we learned this stuff in kindergarten, but we mm -hmm. got out of it <laughs> right. by, by, as I said, Excel spreadsheets and business processes and Salesforce.com and, and, you know, sophisticated blah, blah, blah. I, I just <laughs> this is so good. Hey, Charlie, I know Daryl so well. I'm just looking at him. So for those of you who do not watch this on YouTube, Daryl's just in his eyes, his head's spinning right now. <laughs> I can tell it's because like Charlie, I know Daryl so well. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying, Charlie. I'm looking at Daryl and I see his eyes and I go, he's in, he's leaning awesome. into this. There's this is good stuff, right, yeah, Daryl? Yeah, it's cool stuff. Yeah, the other side, of course, is is uh, is trusting, and the mm -hmm. essence of that is risk taking. And uh, you know, the dominant theme in most business, certainly financial area, is you know, risk is a bad thing. Uh, you know, no no good risk, but a dead risk. Risk mitigation, get rid of it. No, there has to be constructive risk taking. You have to reach out. The only profession I know uh, where it encourages this is being a lifeguard. You know, if you see somebody out there drowning out in the water, you're not supposed to sit there and say, well, is he really drowning or not? I don't know. Maybe not. We'll just wait and see. No, get the heck out there and run the risk of being wrong. Every other profession that you and I know, we're all deathly afraid of get, doing the wrong thing. And therefore, we always do nothing. Well, doing nothing repeatedly amounts to non-risk taking. So the challenge there is to get people to recognize you know, I find in teaching salespeople, I work a lot with professional services, you know, big four, Accenture, that kind of thing. And they're all, they don't want to look unprofessional. They don't want to delve too much into the personal, you know, well, that's where the magic is. You have to learn socially acceptable ways to reach out to the other person and to share of your own heart, to go back to the heart thing, you know, and make that a valid topic for conversation because it's there anyway. You know, people are reacting. We don't just turn on our, our uh, you know, you put business pants on and walk in and suddenly all the emotional content of life is gone. Hell no. There's as much mm -hmm. emotional content in the business world and certainly in selling as there is anywhere else. And we ignore it at our peril. Wow. I love this concept <laughs> of thinking about both sides, the trustor yeah. and the trustee, you know, and, yeah. and, and what is that looking like and where are the issues? Uh, I'm curious. So I love the, the concept of risk um, is very interesting to me. I mean, we're asking people to take risks all the time, right? Risk wasting an hour of your day in an initial meeting, risk yeah. us screwing this thing up, you know, and right. right in exchange for me walking away with a big commission or, or right. all of that. 
but you mentioned that there are ways that salespeople can assume some of the risk in a transaction or during yeah. a transaction. What give me? What are some concrete examples of how salespeople have done this? Well, you know, the most powerful risks lie in those intimacy and self orientation areas, which are deeply personal and emotional, and so forth. But the easier one, there are also in the other areas of uh, the more rational, you know, data thing. So, for example, in, in the realm that I deal with professional services, lawyers, accountants, et cetera, the temptation you go and let's say you go into an initial meeting and mm-hmm. the temptation is, let me tell you quickly. And the client always says, tell me about yourself because they don't know what else to ask. They haven't been right. blind. <laughs> and unfortunately, we give into the temptation of the same we answer well, the question. <laughs> let, me, let me give you the 50, you know, page deck right. and wrong, you know, the better way to do it. Is to, is to do what I call bring a risky gift. Like if you were invited out to dinner with a business acquaintance, you know, what do you do? You stop and you pick up a bottle of nice wine, you know, mm-hmm. maybe get a good California Cabernet or something. But suppose on the other hand, you think about it for a minute and you say, well, geez, um, didn't they go to like Italy last year on vacation? What if we got them a really nice bottle of Barolo and tied it up with like green and red or whatever the Italian flag is, you know, paper or something. Now, that's a little risky because, number one, hey, they might be alcoholics. You don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, or, or you know, maybe they went to Spain and you're wrong in your data. <laughs> but you you take the risk, you bring it there. And, hey, you know what? If they're alcoholics, this is probably not the first time it's happened to them. They'll say, well, we don't drink, but thank you. We'll have it here. So the business analog is you walk in and you say, listen, you know, we'll leave all our bio stuff over here. But, you know, it's interesting. Before this meeting, we started looking into you. And of course, you guys know much more about your issues than you do, but we know a few things. And it occurred to us as we looked at it, maybe X is a big issue for you guys. Is that true? Now, there are only two good answers to that question, and they're both great. And the first one is they'll say, yeah, X is a huge issue. Anything you have to say about X, we're really interested in. Well, that's nice. The other one's even better. And that's where they say, ah, everybody thinks X is the issue. No, it's why. In which case you say, oh, my God, the minute you said that, I realize you're how right you are. Tell me about why. And they'll be <laughs> thrilled to tell you about why. Yeah. And all you have to yeah. do is listen. Yeah, so there's, you know, one example. Another one, before you go on a phone call with somebody, you know, hit them up in LinkedIn for 10 seconds and realize, oh, my God, they lived in, in Tampa. Did you guys escape that, that storm the other day that came through Tampa? What was it like for you? Well, there's a good five minutes of, you know, getting acquainted based on that. Those are small risk-taking things, but they're mm-hmm. within the realm of social acceptability. And all we have to do is reframe our thinking to say, how do I get them talking about real stuff? And that doesn't even touch the emotional interaction stuff. It's even deeper. Hey, you know what, Daryl? The, the first thing that flashes into my head, and, and I don't know why, is it's the it's almost deprogramming salespeople because – what Charlie just said, I don't think there's any real rocket science behind any of no. it. It's it's so simple stuff. So, you know, the first right. thing is, is we got to deprogram and get out of our head all of this stuff um, to impress, right? You know, yeah. all of our knowledge and all that. Great. I, I understand y'all are smart, right. you're smart sales professionals and you're smart, smart sales leaders. But what Charlie just said is pretty simple stuff. It's connectability. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good way to put it. And deprogramming. I like that notion. I think you're right. Well, that self-orientation on the bottom of the equation, right. that right there, that is the, that's the stuff nobody's talking about, right? This is, yeah. and in fact, if for, you know, the 
well, we talk, uh, we talked in the trust challenge. We talk all the time <laughs> in the insiders group about how we start our day, you know, just simple things like that. Right. And I, I forget which, uh, was it Sanderson or it was one of our, one of our friends in the trust challenge said, just don't turn the TV on in the morning, you know, take that, take that <laughs> first simple step and don't turn the news on. But, but there, but it goes much deeper than that in terms yeah. of there's a lot of, I think before we get in the game as sales professionals in any given day, it's so important that we recalibrate our heart because we're going to go into the office. We're going to have a sales leader. There's going to be a sales board. There's going to be all kinds of pressure and challenges and deadlines and quotas. Yeah. And there's all kinds of stuff to contribute to the head trash that right. keeps that puts that wall up between us and the other person that makes us glassy eyed and not present. And the trust, yeah. you know, is, is gone. Well, again, this is, this is now again, this is at the conceptual level, but it goes back to what's your goal. What's your purpose? Is it to sell or is it to make your clients better? Which if you do, by the way, you'll end up selling quite a bit, but it's a byproduct. The more you right. focus on selling as the goal, the more you're going to mess up trust and the, and the less you're going to sell. If it, can I share another little anecdote? Here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep it going doing a session for some investment bankers a, a couple of years ago. And a guy came up to me before this session and he said, listen, Charlie, I've read your books, uh, you know, and I get it. It's good stuff. Uh, but you should know the audience you're walking into here. And he said, I'm a good example. I am into money. I'm into this. I mean, in this business because it's a great way to make a lot of money and that's what I want to do. And if they set our quarterly targets to do this, that, and the other, that's what I'm going to do. And if they change it to monthly, I'm right there because my goal is in maximizing my income. So I'm going to hit those targets. And I said, well, let me ask you, in the strategy realm, did, did your firm change their strategy every quarter or every month? Hell no, right? And he said, no, of course not, because, you know, that would be, that would be you know, self-sabotaging and, and obvious and transparent. So, well, what makes you think that your clients can't tell <laughs> that you are self-servingly meeting personal targets and changing them every quarter, which means that the, the client is really just an end to your means. What makes you think they can't tell that? Ouch. And what I think what that really goes to is that the pursuit of short-term goals, which are self-serving, mm-hmm. is not the best way to maximize long-term income. The best way mm-hmm. to maximize long-term income is focus on all these other long-term things that are client-focused. And by the way, long-term income is made up of a series of short-term uh, metrics, right? So the flaw is our thinking that the best way to short-term revenue is short-term goals. It's not. The best way to short-term revenue and long-term revenue is long-term goals. And we forget that you mentioned, Larry, the, you know, walking into the sales meeting and the quotas and the goals and the metrics and so forth. That's all short-term transactional focused and we get lost in it. So I think the right attitude for a salesperson is you don't have to change that. It's fine to measure stuff and look in the rearview mirror and calibrate and make plans. That's fine. Don't get lost in it. Mm-hmm. Just notice them as signs of how it's going. So, you know, client review meetings should not happen every week or every month. They ought to happen once a year. And it ought to be built around, is this a client we should still be investing in? In which case, you know, are we doing the right big picture things? And then, you know, let the rest flow by. It'll take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And if your boss doesn't like that way of thinking, which usually they don't, you know, they are into the sales metrics and so forth. Trust that they will believe the numbers and the numbers will be better if you focus on the long term and ignore all the blah, blah, blah noise that you're being subjected to. But it's, it's so, do, but it's right. 
I, I, I love this, but it's just, unfortunately, it's just, it's easier said than done for a lot of yes, people. It is. And, and, and that's where I think we get Charlie and Daryl. I think that's where we get so caught up because yeah. I think in, in our hearts, and I just want to say, I, I believe in our hearts, we know what's right. Yep. But it, it's the squash down that happens. So yeah. it's hard. It's hard. This is, again, my opinion is yeah. it's hard to see this long term vision play out when every day, every week, every month, every quarter, it's right. the short term, the short term, the short term, right. especially as here we are, you know, just kicking off Q4. Not only are yeah. we going to end a quarter, we're going to end a year. So right. imagine all this short term thinking that's going to happen over the next two and a half months well i agree with you it is hard but on the other hand <clears throat> you know you want to be the best at something why should it be easy and and ironically you know i haven't checked this for some years but i remember some years ago the best car salesman in the country did not practice short-term transaction stuff he was all over relationships long term he kept indexed card files back then you know about personal info he called people on a regular basis how's your kid doing all the stuff we're talking about. And he was the best in the worst trust business we can think of, right? So it's not, you know. Whoops, yeah. Got my mic here. Well, you're, <laughs> this, is, this is so spot on. And I think the, the takeaway here as we're wrapping this up is, is that trust requires work. <laughs> this is not, this, in, in, I've, I, I think there's this mindset right now um, in some some spaces where if I'm just care enough and I'm authentic enough and I'm real and I show up, you know, with a good heart, which I need to, that helps. Uh, that helps but there's the work side of trust to really um, to stay on top of this stuff and to make sure yeah. I'm adding meaningful value. Although, let me just add, and I know you're closing here, uh, just I, I think that, yes, there is work to be done, but it's mind work, it's internal mm -hmm. work, it's mm -hmm. thought work, it's uh, it's at the level of things like objectives and big picture and stuff. It's personal work, it's emotional maturity. And 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 by the way, just to give people some hope, um, I, I've sort of been taking up a lot more golf lately. When you hit a <laughs> golf ball right, it's because your swing is easy. You're not thinking about 50 things. You're, you're thinking about nothing. It's a Zen right. kind of thing. It all flows. Yeah. And you, you will get moments of that as you begin to do this work and you begin to feel what it's like. So, yes, it's hard work uh, and it's self-work and, and maybe nobody else is helping you, you know, but it's good work and you can feel it when it's getting right. Just like when you whack a good golf, ball, golf shot, you know, I love it. Oh. I love it. Well, um, Charlie, I got to say, I hope that my ability to build trust is better than my golf game. Because if that's the case, I'm in big trouble. I'm, but you make such a great, because I, I don't play golf. I, I'm down to charity golf tournaments now. But yeah, those moments of zen and clear mind, mind like water, yeah. whatever, as opposed to, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that. I sliced it last time. And all of that right. totally messes everything up. And right. um, this is so good. I am absolutely... Uh, thrilled that we got connected oh, and uh, this yeah. conversation, you know, you are, your resource, the trusted advisor book, all of that um, is. Let me, is let me just say, I also wrote trust-based selling. Yes, of so, course. And yeah. both of those are going in the, uh, in the show notes. 
And uh, you are so aligned with the Selling from the Heart community. And I just can't yeah. say thank you enough. Yeah, thank for you. For sharing your wisdom and insight with us today. This has been fantastic. Thanks to both of you. It's been a pleasure. You guys, you guys are in the right place. You're the good guys. You're on the right team. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's so... <laughs> That's so good. We're thankful we're on we're all running down the same road in the same direction. Yeah. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Charlie. You. <laughs> what a great oh, conversation. Darryl. What a, ah, just so much there. I can't wait to deep dive. We've got a new friend in the selling from the heart world and and what a tremendous resource for all of us who are working to build trust. You know what stood out to me, Larry, is something that we talk about a lot at selling from the heart and that's the inner work. This is the inner work that needs to be done that uh, I see happening inside the Selling from the Heart community. And I just want to say hats off to everybody who's doing the inner work. Larry, you put together the self-reflection journal to help salespeople master that inner game and really understand who they are. Yeah, the, the inner work plays out, Daryl, and, and quite often, quite often, we'll get, why does all of this matter? Well, mm -hmm. we just peeled it back with our friend, Charlie. If you want to have the outer success, if you want to build the trust, it starts with doing the inner work. You know what I really loved? And by the way, Jack Hubbard, thank you so much for introducing Charlie Green to us. Mm -hmm. Just uh, just tip of the cap virtually on this one. We also have to assume some risk. What risk are we willing to take along the way? I thought that was brilliant that Charlie brought up, Daryl. It's incredible. So much good stuff here. I know you're going to want to grab... Uh, all of these books and dive in uh, with us. And I'm just so thankful for our community. We want to invite you to come hang out with us. Uh, if you've never been to a Selling from the Heart Insiders group, you got to come give it a try. It's amazing. Get your free pass at sellingfromtheheart.net. And until next week, and by the way, we've got so many great guests lined up for this fall. You definitely want to hit subscribe on this. Thank you to everyone who's leading us, leaving reviews and sharing the podcast on social. It means the world because we're all working together to bring authenticity to this profession that we love so much that needs it. So help cheer us on. Um, and we're cheering you on till next time. Keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep adding real value, become a trusted advisor. And most of all, sell from the heart. Thanks for listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast on the SalesCast Network. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We appreciate your encouraging reviews as it helps us spread the word. As always, we would love to connect with you. So look for us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite podcast platform. This podcast is produced by our friends at SalesCast. Learn more at www.salescast.co. We look forward to seeing you next time.